this stuff. So with all that being said, last week we kicked off a brand new series called It's Time for Us to Reach Out. Uh, it is time for us to do exactly what we did yesterday, right? To, to take that step, to go after the last, the least, the lost, and the lonely. Uh, today in part two, I want to talk to you about how we stand between the living and the dead. We stand between the living and the dead. We're going to turn uh, to Numbers chapter 16 to start our time together today. I want to read this passage to you. In number 16, it says this. It says, then Moses said to Aaron, this is Moses, the leader of Israel who has led them out of Egypt, the Israelites taking them back to the promised land, it says to Aaron, Aaron's his older brother. Aaron is the high priest. Um, he said, take your censer and put incense in it along with burning coals from the altar and hurry. Everybody say hurry. hurry. Hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead and the plague stopped. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your invitation for us to intercede. God, I thank you for you allowing us to follow Aaron's footsteps, to ultimately follow Jesus's footsteps, and stand in the gap between those who are alive and those who are dead. God, because we know you want to raise the dead to life. We know that that is who you are. You are a God of resurrection. And so, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would use each of us as intercessors, that you would use each of us to stand between the living and the dead and to see the dead raised to new life. We thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I am a sucker for a good rescue story. Uh, whether it's fiction like Armageddon, when I was in high school, Armageddon came out, and it's this fictional story, right, of this asteroid, this meteor that's going to hit Earth, and they raise up this team of Bruce Willis uh, and, uh, and, and his, his crew, and they go, and they fly out to the meteor, and they drill down into it, and they drop a nuke on it, and they blow it up, uh, and, and spoiler alert, Bruce Willis dies. Uh, I'm sorry, the movie, the movie came out like... 25 years ago. If you haven't seen it yet, that's on you. Uh, but, uh, but Bruce steps in and he saves Ben Affleck's life, which I'd rather have Bruce Willis than Ben Affleck, but it's the movie. Uh, so that's the way that it went down, right? And so I, I love the rescue story. The, the earth, the planet, everybody is saved because of the sacrifice of one man. That story connects with me. I recently went and, and saw this new movie that came out about all these kids who are in sex trafficking, The Sound of Freedom. And, and man, that's not a fictional story. That's a nonfiction story. And there's something in me that connects with these stories of rescue as this team goes in and they deliver these kids out of, of slavery. Out of this, this despicable, horrific, heartbreaking bondage. There's something in me that, that leaps at a story like that. I love those kind of stories, and I don't think I'm alone. I think we're all suckers for a good rescue story because I think God has imprinted in our DNA a hunger for rescue. See, the reality is we are all people who have needed rescue. 
We are all people who are far from God. The Bible says that we were actually dead in our sins and our transgressions. But Jesus Christ came as the sacrifice for our sins and he raised us from death into life. And so I think that's imprinted in our DNA, the hunger for rescue. I think it's why people, Christian and non-Christian alike, are drawn, magnetically connected to stories of rescue. I believe that we have a God of rescue, and I believe that he invites us in to his rescue story. See, God is on a rescue mission. He's on a mission to save. He's on a mission to to plunder hell and populate heaven, to rescue people from the flames and bring them into relationship with his son, Jesus, into his presence for eternity. And so God is on a rescue mission, and as believers, that means that we are on a rescue mission. Man, when you go to work in your workplace, you're on a rescue mission. You're not just doing accounting. You're not just handling the the paperwork. You're not just making phone calls. You're not just swinging a hammer or working with students or whatever your job happens to look like, whatever your job description is. Ultimately, yes, that may be what gets you a paycheck and provides the makes helps you pay the bills and puts food on the table, but you're on a rescue mission from God. He has sent you there to be his representative, to be his agent. The 65 of us who spread out across the county, I know we had some in Horn Lake and some in South Haven and more of our people here in Olive Branch working on different projects yesterday. You might not have known it, but you were on a rescue mission. You might have been stirring lemonade and handing out a cup, but you were on a rescue mission. You're on a mission to show people the love of a Savior, the only Savior who can rescue them from their sins. You see, God has placed us on a rescue mission. That rescue mission is the mission of intercession. Intercession. Intercession has a couple different meanings, and they both apply. Let me give you the first one. Intercession is to attempt to reconcile differences between two groups of people, or to mediate. That's from dictionary.com. We'll use another the other definition from dictionary.com in a minute. But, but let's start with this one. It means to attempt to reconcile differences between two groups of people or to mediate. It's to stand between one group over here and another group over here and bring them together and, and help solve the problem, get to the root of whatever it is so that there's no more disunity. Now we have unity. We call this team, this group that went out yesterday, we call it Church United. Because unfortunately, sometimes churches have a reputation of disunity. Sometimes churches have a reputation of competition. Sometimes churches have a reputation of of being against one another rather than being for one another. And so there's this heartbeat in DeSoto County that we're part of a bigger kingdom. Man, that we're part of something greater than than the name on our church or the name on our t-shirts. We're part of the church of Jesus Christ. And so we're bringing people together. I love bringing people together. I was always that kind of weirdo growing up where I had lots of different groups of friends. 
Like, like some of you, like you always had like your clique, you had your seven, and man, we were boys, and we were ride or die, and we didn't need anybody else. I was the guy who, who had, man, I was friends with these seven, but also with these six, and these two, and like I was the guy who was like kind of in each of the different groups, and, and I've always loved bringing groups together. And sometimes it's amazing, and new people form friendships and relationships, and sometimes it blows up spectacularly <laughs> when you bring different people together, because uh, there's... Sometimes there's reasons why they don't get together in the first place, right? Uh, and so I've always kind of had a heart of an intercessor. I've always had the heart to, to bring different groups together to see new unity, new friendships, new bonds being formed. It's one of the things that I love about the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God's for everybody. Man, we're called to bring everybody together. We're called to see unity in the church. And so intercession is reconciling differences. To go back to Numbers, talking about Aaron, it says, He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. Just to give you a little bit of context of what's going on in, Hebrew, or in, in Numbers 16, uh, there's an uprising. There's a rebellion. Uh, and they start grumbling against Moses and against Aaron. And they're like, you know what? You might have got us out of Egypt, but we've been wandering around in the desert for 25, 30 years at this point in time. Uh, your leadership may have gotten us rescued, but you ain't the guy to take us where we need to go. We're, we're tired of listening to you. We need somebody else to take over. And so there's this rebellion that begins to take root. And, and Moses basically says, okay, God, you, you decide. If they're right, I'll bow out. If they're not, you show up, you make the decision, like, I'm, I'm okay with it if it's not me. Uh, and so God shows up very clearly uh, and, and wipes out the rebellion. In fact, it had spread, the gossip and the backbiting had spread throughout the people to the point that, that now it's taking root, not just in this small group that started the uprising, but it's gone through the whole people. And so God lets this, pray, this plague break out. And in order for the plague to be shut down... Aaron, who is the high priest, the high priest's job is to intercede. The job of a priest is to stand between God and men. He would once a year go into the Holy of Holies. There wasn't a temple yet, but they did have a tabernacle, a tent, where the altar, or the Ark of the Covenant was. And once a year, the high priest would go in and, and make intercession for the people, offer a sacrifice for the people. He was the only one allowed in God's presence to that degree. And so as the high priest, he was the one who had been appointed by God to stand between the living and the dead. And so he goes and he makes this sacrifice. He gets the, the incense and, and follows the directions, the instructions to make atonement so that the sins of the people can be forgiven. Ultimately what's happening is Aaron is foreshadowing Jesus. Jesus is the great high priest who stands between God and man stands between the living and the dead, and he bridges the gap. In fact, I'll show it to you in the book of Hebrews. It makes it very clear. Hebrews chapter 6 says this. It says, we have this hope. Everybody say this hope. we got to be people of hope. If we're Jesus people, if we are Christians, if, if we are the ones who carry the only hope of the world, the only hope of salvation, the only hope of rescue, our conversation, our attitude, our body language should be signaling some hope. It says, we have this hope. Aren't you thankful for hope? We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. This isn't just some compartmental hope. This isn't some partial hope. This is a hope that anchors our entire soul. 
It makes it firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, the high priest. When our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's a lot of real theology in these statements that we don't have time to get into. The, the priests all came through the tribe of Levi. Jesus was not through the tribe of Levi. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. And so it says that Jesus is a high priest, not in the order of Aaron, but in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is this very mysterious figure in the Old Testament who Abraham encounters, um, and it says that he's this, this king of peace, this king of righteousness, that he's a high priest. He wears a lot of hats and has a lot of different roles and titles. Um, some people think that Melchizedek is a foreshadow of Jesus. I actually think that Melchizedek was Jesus himself in the Old Testament. Uh, those are debatable statements. Regardless, he's a really unique person. Uh, and it says that Jesus comes not in the order of Aaron, because he's not from the tribe of Levi, but from the order of Melchizedek to fulfill this role as the high priest. Why am I talking about all this? Well, look at this next thing. Intercession also means this, to act or interpose in behalf of someone in difficulty or trouble as by pleading or petition. To act or interpose in behalf of someone in difficulty or trouble is in pleading or petition. It gives us an example on dictionary.com is to intercede with the governor for a condemned man. I don't know if anybody in this room has ever had someone intercede for you, has had someone step in for you when you were in trouble, when, when you were being accused of something, when your name was being dragged, and somebody stepped up and said, nope, that, that's not who that is. That's not the way that it went down. That's not really what happened. I've had this happen a couple times this year where things have been said about me and, and, and some people have stood up for me. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate someone stepping up and saying, no, that's not what happened. I was there. That's not the way that that conversation went down. That's not the way that that situation was handled. What is it? That's, that's interceding. The gift of intercession is massive. The significance of it is so huge. Why do I show you the second definition of intercession? Well, because Jesus intercedes for us in both ways. He stands in the gap and mediates and brings two together. He makes us connected with God, the living and the dead. But he also makes intercession on our behalf. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. It says, who then is the one who condemns no one? Christ Jesus who died, and more than that, who was raised back to life, is at the right hand of God. Where is Jesus right now? Jesus isn't in your heart. So a lot of times we say, man, I just, man, when did you ask Jesus in your heart? Well, Jesus doesn't actually live in your heart. He does through his Holy Spirit. But Jesus himself is not in your heart. Jesus himself is at the right hand of God, and that's good news. Because look at what he's doing. He is also interceding for us. You see, there's an accuser who likes to bring your name up and say all kinds of slander against you, all kinds of libel against you, all kinds of stuff that isn't true or maybe even is true in the natural. And then Jesus steps up before the Father and he says, nope, nope, Aaron's mine. Let me tell you what Aaron really did. Let me tell you what Aaron really said. Or, or, or sometimes he sits up and he says, nope, nope, yeah, Troy did that, but I paid the price for that. You don't have to hold that against him anymore. That debt has already been taken care of. Yes, he was guilty. Yes, that actually happened, but it's already covered under my blood, and so you can't bring it up anymore. It's taken care of. What's he doing? He's interceding. I'm grateful for a Savior who intercedes 
for me. He stepped in on my behalf. He speaks on my behalf. We can sum up interceding very simply with this statement. To intercede is to stand in the gap. There's a difference. It can be verbal standing in the gap as in when someone's accused and stepping up and saying, no, that's not what happened. It can be physical standing in the gap and bringing two groups together. But it's standing in the gap. That's the common denominator between these two definitions. Where are we going with this, Pastor Troy? Let me take you to 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this about God's people. This is a letter to the church. This is for you. Everybody say, this is me. This is what the word of God says about you. It says, but you are a chosen people. Did you know you were chosen? You weren't the last kid picked. God didn't take you because you were the only one left. It's like, well, that's the leftovers. I guess I'm stuck. You're on my team. He chose you. He picked you. He wanted you. Then it says you are a royal priesthood. I think the priesthood of the believer is largely misunderstood or maybe not even, oftentimes we're not even aware of it. God has entrusted to believers the priesthood. You see, in the Old Testament, there was a specific tribe, the Levites. And even not every Levite was part of the priesthood. There were select Levites who would be part of the priesthood. And it was their job to stand between God and man. It was their job to bridge the gap, to intercede. But in the New Testament, because Jesus the high priest has come and has already bridged the gap, he now invites all of us into the priesthood. This is why in, in the Protestant faith, we don't go sit in front of a priest and confess our sins. Because the, the misunderstanding there is that the priest has to stand between God and men. You don't need to tell me everything that you've done wrong. I don't stand between you and God. Nobody stands between you and God. You are welcome in the presence of God on your own. You can boldly go before the throne of grace. You have the priesthood. So we don't delegate leadership now to, to, to or not, we delegate leadership. We don't delegate priesthood to leadership. We don't have to have other people that we look up to. We don't have to have Hunter go before God for us. Hunter, can you, can next time you're worshiping, can you say a prayer for me? Man, you can ask him to intercede with you. You can ask him to partner with you, to agree with you, but you don't need him to go to God on your behalf. You get to go to God on your own. It's the priesthood of the believer, but there's something else in the priesthood. The responsibility of a priest wasn't just to go to God for themselves. It was to go to God for others. And so we don't go to God on the behalf of other priests. They don't need it. They can go to God on their own. So who do we go to God on behalf of? People who haven't yet been brought into the priesthood. People who haven't yet received Jesus. We are called to be priests at this royal priesthood. It says we're also a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's a life verse right there. That's one worth holding on to. That's one worth memorizing. That's one worth putting in your heart. Man, this is, this is some identity. This is what God says about me. Next time you're feeling low, next time you're feeling unworthy, next time you feel like you don't have much going on, man, start speaking 1 Peter 2, 9 over yourself. I'm a chosen people. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation. I am God's special possession. That's right. That's who we are. So if you're taking notes, write this down. You are a priest. Or you can personalize it and say, I am a priest. You just, you just got ordained into the priesthood. 
Just kidding. Uh, right? I don't know. I don't know if that's accurate. I apologize. I'm not trying to make fun of, of Catholics. I shouldn't have done that. I apologize. That's inappropriate. I take that back. Um, I believe that Catholics are Christians and, and that they can absolutely go to heaven. So I don't, I'm not trying to, to, to separate that. You're a priest. Biblically, you are a priest. You may not know it. You may not feel like it. You may not walk in it. But this is the role, this is the title, this is the responsibility that you have been given. Whether you got saved last week or 60 years ago, whether you've been to Bible college or you don't even know what Bible college is, you are a priest. So what does that mean? You are a priest, therefore, you intercede. This is the call that God has placed on us. If you put that next slide up for us. You are a priest, therefore, you intercede. Seed, you stand in the gap. First Timothy chapter 2 puts it this way. The apostle Paul writes, and he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, everybody say intercession. He says, I urge that intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And he says this, he says, this is good. When we intercede, it is good. And it pleases God our Savior. And look what it says about our God. Who wants all people. Everybody say all people. My God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. All means all. is everybody. His desire is that we would all come to a knowledge of who Jesus is. That we would all come to salvation. Verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator. What did intercession definition number one said? It said you mediate. There's one intercessor. There's one who bridges the gap. There's one who stands between God and mankind, and that is the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for who? All people. What do we do with this? It's time to reach out. What are we talking about today? Today, I'm calling you to the priesthood, to the priesthood of intercession. Two weeks ago, I told you that we saw two adult children who mom and dad had been praying for give their lives to Jesus right here at our church. Why? Because there had been intercession made for them for a long time. Some of you in this room, you got lost loved ones who you've been praying for for so When will they ever respond? When will things ever change? I cannot promise you. Because God will not violate their free will. But I can promise you this. God would not ask you to intercede if it did not make a difference. When you intercede... You are empowering angels to move on behalf of that person. You're empowering some other believer somewhere to speak to them. You're, you're empowering some other believer who's living for Jesus in front of them to, to live out their faith a little more boldly, a little more righteously, a little more authentically. There's an impact that is made when you intercede. And you may not know it. You may not understand it. You may not know what God is doing in it. But it makes a difference, I promise. Years ago, as I was wandering from the faith, as I was straying from my calling, I had already 
chosen to, to follow Jesus. God had already started a, a call on my life that I was wrestling with and, and dealing with. And I, I started rebelling. And I started getting in a very bad situation. And my mom, and I've told you this story before, but my mom prayed this. She said, God, I don't know what's going on with Troy, but do whatever it takes to wake him up. The next day on the way home from school, I got jumped. And you're like, oh, I'm not praying for my lost loved ones anymore. I don't want her to get jumped. <laughs> it's the best thing that ever happened to me. It was God showing me, this is the life that you're choosing. Is this really what you want? And uh, I was smart enough or soft enough, you can choose whichever definition <laughs> you want, uh, to say, you know what, this is not the life that I want. I'm good. One butt kicking was all it took for me. Some people, it takes a few more. Um, that's all I needed to realize that's not the life that I want. What is that? It's the power of intercession. Now, sometimes that prayer doesn't get answered the next day. Um, but I believe God answers our prayers. I believe that there's power in intercession. I want to call some intercessors who have have started to get discouraged, who have started to think God's not going to wake that family member up. God's not going to move in that person's life. I want to call you to a new awakening today. God is not finished. God is not done. God still answers prayer. He has not given up on that lost family member of yours. He's called us to intercessing. I want to say real, real quick as we wrap up three ways we're called to intercede. The first one is this. We are called to intercede for the hurting. We did that yesterday. But interceding for the hurting is not just a one-time check-a-box, serve day, once a quarter kind of thing. It's keeping our eyes open. What is the need? What is the opportunity? How can I step in? How can I fill that gap? How can I be the hands and the feet of Jesus? We're called to intercede for the hurting. Secondly, we're called to intercede for leadership. It said right there in that passage that intercession be made for all, especially for kings and all those in authority. We got to be praying for our president in the midst of war breaking out on the other side of the world. We got to be praying for, for our congresspeople. We got to be praying for our governors, for our mayors. We, we've got to pray for leadership, for those who are in leadership. I'd, I'd encourage you to pray for your boss. Not just that they quit. Um, <laughs> just that they move on. Uh, Honestly, earnestly pray for them, for God's best for them, that they see and hear from God. Um, we got to pray for leadership. There's leadership in all kinds of levels and all kinds of realms. We're called to pray for leadership. Thirdly, we are called to intercede for the lost. Now, this is the one I want to park on. This is the one I want to focus on very, very, very quickly. I told you last week I wanted you just, your homework was simply just to look. Who's out here? Who, who, who's in my world that needs Jesus? Hopefully you've started to see somebody. Chances are you may have already known before I gave you that homework. That was like easy homework. That almost didn't even count. This week we're, we're going to take the homework up a notch. Here's your homework this week. I want you to identify one lost person or family that you already started looking at. And I want you to pray for, I want you to intercede for them this week. You should start praying for their soul. You should start praying for their salvation. I want you to start believing God is going to move mightily on their behalf. And I'm going to narrow it down for just a moment because you may have, if you're like me, I've got lost loved ones on, on the other side of the country. Um, 
in, in Seattle and in North Carolina and Georgia and Virginia and, and kind of all over. Um, I want you to narrow down this specific call to somebody local because we're going we're gonna to have some more homework next week. And it's going to be something you need to do for them that they need to be physically around here to be able to do it. So that doesn't mean don't pray for your lost family member in Virginia. Like, oh, they're out. Uh, hopefully you love them enough you're already doing that. And you'll step in and keep praying for them. Um, but we're going to identify a lost person or a lost family that's here. Olive Branch, Soto County, Mahalia, Memphis, somewhere, somewhere nearby. And I want you to dedicate one minute every day this week to pray for them. I'm asking you for seven minutes. Seven minutes of your week. But I think if you would give seven minutes one minute a day to just start praying. You don't have to put any action behind that prayer yet. There will be action next week. No action behind that prayer. Just start praying. God, save them. God, open their eyes. God, put people in their life that's so good see, that, that help them see that you love them. God, if there's hurt in their past, if they're running from you for something, God, heal that hurt. Show them that it wasn't you who hurt them, that it was people, but your son is for them and not against you. I mean, I'm just calling you to intercede. And that, that minute may spill over past 60 seconds, and if it does, praise Jesus. You might, you might just find you get on a roll. You might just find you, you just spent five minutes and you didn't even know where it went. Because your heart is to see the lost come to Jesus. Your heart is to stand between the living and the dead. And to bring the dead, to call the dead into life that Jesus has created for them, that he has already paid the price for them to have. That's the heart of an intercessor. God has in his infinite wisdom entrusted to us the ministry of intercession. He could have done this any way that he wanted. He could use his angels. He could just use his Holy Spirit. He could radically say he could just blaze it in the sky a message with somebody's name on it but he said no I want Zach to tell him I want Camille to tell him I want Jade to tell him I want Manya to pray for him I want Maddie to reach out to him I want Pam to care about him he chose us what are we we are a chosen people we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. What does holy mean? It means set apart. We've been set apart for God's purpose, for his mission. That's who we are. That's what we do. And so we are called to the ministry of intercession. I know there's a ton of other stuff to do. I know we got all kinds of distractions and other stuff in our day. But I promise you, you can find one minute to intercede. I guarantee you, you can. And I think if you start doing it, you're going to find there's a whole lot more time in that schedule than you realize. Because there's going to be a hunger. See, the things that we start to do, we start to hunger more and more for. And I can't wait for the day that God's people are hungry to intercede. I can't wait for the day that God's people are interceding for our city. We're interceding for our workplace. We're interceding for our schools. We're interceding for the last, the lost, the least, and the lonely because we recognize we are a royal priesthood. We've been entrusted with this ministry. What an honor. What an incredible thing. Here's what we're going to do, church. I'm going to ask you to stand as we pray. And I'm going to pray, and I want you to, I'm, I'm going to make your first day easy. I'm going to give you a minute to intercede. So you already got a name, you already got somebody. If you don't, you better start asking God to speak to you real quick. Because uh, they're there in your world, I promise. They're around you. 
We're going to take this next 60 seconds and we're going to intercede for the lost. We're going to take a name before God. We're going to put it at his throne and we're going to believe that God is moving mightily to save, mightily to rescue, mightily to do what only he can do. Would you join me, church? Father God.